Welcome to HOWC Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. All right. The last thing we read was about the covenants and the rainbow. Um, and Noah, the flood has subsided. Noah is now on dry land. They're planting vineyards. They're, the animals are spreading out. Um, and then we pick up in verse 20. And Noah began to be a husbandman. That means someone who plants vineyards and takes care of, of fruit trees or vines. It's a nurture. Somebody takes care of something. Husbands are called husbands. Yes. And he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. So obviously they had no refrigerators. There was no way to keep stuff fresh. So when the wine, the grapes began to turn, you were still drinking it. He got drunk. He's passed out in the tent. God doesn't say that the Bible condones it, but this is what happened. And of course, when things happen that lead to other bad things, just because it's recorded in Scripture doesn't mean that God was in support of it, but it happened. It is a historical book. So I just have to kind of put that out there because some people will be like, well, this happens in the Bible and that's in the Bible, so it's okay. No, no, it's a historical book. It's not, it doesn't mean that God was okay with it. It means that there were people in there. Right, and even in this little, this little section right here. Bad things came from it. Right. Consequences. There's always consequences. So just because Noah drank grapes that had went bad doesn't mean that God's okay with that was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, now remember he had three sons, Ham, Sham, and Japheth. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers without. And Shem and Japheth, the other two brothers, took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. So basically, each brother stood like this with a blanket between them and walked in backwards and laid it down over him so that they didn't see. But he went in and looked and laughed and made a joke of it, went out and told everybody and dishonored his father. Uh, but the other brothers went in and tried to cover him up. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. Selfishness and hatred, you know, usually uncovers it. So be cautious in how you respond to people when they're fallen. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Now before we go any further, let me explain something. A curse in Scripture, when a curse is decreed, it doesn't necessarily mean I am speaking this, therefore I am making this happen. More often than not, it's a prophetic word, declaring consequences or pointing out characteristics. For example, whenever Eli refused to correct his children, a curse was laid upon him. Basically, God prophesies through a prophet and tells him that 
from now on, your generations are going to always be cut short and your kids are going to always have problems. Why? Because there's consequences to not training your children to obey the word of the Lord and to always take his commandments lightly. So for generations, they had to deal with the consequences of that. So when you see bad characteristics manifesting uh, selfishness and, and, you know, this lack of compassion and possibly even perversion or whatever was taking place here, there are consequences that are going to manifest generationally because it's not being dealt with. So a curse is the absence of a blessing, right? Just like cold is the absence of heat. Darkness is the absence of light. Evil is the absence of goodness. A curse is literally just the absence of the blessing. You cannot be in the blessing of God while walking in the character of the enemy. Therefore, these are the consequences that are going to manifest in your generations. So I don't want this image to be forth that, oh, God is cursing and making these evil things happen to these people. No, God is telling you these are the consequences of listening to the spirit that you're allowing yourself to be led by. It's going to affect you and your generations and your children to the point where things are going to get so bad. They're going to become so selfish, so self-centered, so cold-hearted that I'm going to have to deal with them. And it's going to come through the sons of Shem. Well, it's good. The dealing with the, the sons of Ham came through the sons of Shem. Shem. So the, this is the curse, the consequences. And he said, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Okay, now first of all, let me remind you of this. Canaan was the son of Ham. He was not his only son. So Ham is uh, basically, when we get down to the genealogies, you'll see where Ham was basically the father of like the African people. Sham was the father of the Middle Eastern people, uh, and Japheth was the father of the European people. So anyway, the point I want to make here, because there was an old teaching way back in the, um, the early days that because the descendants of Ham, that they were all cursed. That's not biblical, because he had many sons, and not, they weren't all part of this curse. Only Canaan is mentioned in this curse, and this is fulfilled... Whenever God sends the Israelites back into the land of Canaan to take over and to take Israel. By that time, this characteristic had manifested, this selfishness, this lack of compassion, this, this perversion, had manifested to the point where there was so much sexual immorality that they were producing a lot of children and then sacrificing them, burning them alive on these altars to Baal and to Moloch. So much so that they would have to play loud music and drums to drown out the screams of these children being burned alive on these statues where they would heat them up with fires inside till their hands were red hot and then they would lay the children on the hands to be burned. That's what Baal worship is. That's what, that's what, um, that's what Planned Parenthood is. They, they still, they may not do it exactly the same, but they're still doing it to the same deities and they still do it the same way. Because they would have female goddesses that would promote promiscuity and, and prostitution and sexuality, just like our female celebrities do. And then the product of that would be the children that they would then have to sacrifice because now you have the inconvenience of all of these children. So then they would burn them as sacrifices to Baal. The culture had become so wicked that God, to protect the children, had to 
come in. That's why when you hear people say, well, if he's such a good God, why did he wipe out whole nations and all of us? Do you know how wicked they were? Because the same people that will say, well, if he's such a good God, why does he, why in the Bible did they wipe out whole nations? They'll also say, well, if he's such a good God, why does he allow evil? Well, this is a time where it was so evil that he actually had to step in and do something about it. That's why he wiped them out. He sent the Israelites in to take over Canaan because of the, nat- this bad, the nature of these consequences of allowing themselves to be influenced by this spirit. Selfishness, perversion, uh, this callousness, this lack of compassion. Uh, it manifested in this culture to the extreme. So the descendants of Canaan became so wicked that the descendants of Shem, which were the Israelites, had to go in and overtake them. Whenever they overtook Israel, the descendants, the Canaanites, did pay tribute. They did become servants to the children of Shem. So that was actually fulfilled in that. That was a curse, but that was already fulfilled. Now, when Jesus came, Jesus becomes the curse so that we can receive his righteousness. The blood of Jesus breaks every curse, no matter what lineage or nationality, because the different nationalities had different you know, pros and cons. They all did, and they all had their curses. We all know that the Israelites, you know, had a lot of sins themselves, and the sons of Japheth, they, you know, if you go through their histories, they all had a lot of sins themselves too. So in the end, we all need Jesus, and we all need repentance, and he can take away every curse and bring us into God's family. He comes for redemption. But that's that's to clear up what this curse is. That curse uh, was a consequence that was actually fulfilled when the Israelites came back in and took over Canaan land. And God enlarged Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servants. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. So now we go into chapter 10. And you'll notice immediately after the flood, the lifespans start shortening. So we're going to kind of just skim through this genealogy, and we're not going to go into too much depth on all of it, but I'm going to stop and make a few points here or there for things that are important, some things that like my daddy and them was just mentioning. So the sons of Japheth. Now Japheth is the oldest son. Remember, he was the father of the uh, European people. They, they traveled in that direction. Uh, his name means to expand. His sons were Gomer and Magog and Madia and Javan and Tubal and Meshech and Tyrus. And we're not going to go through all of them. It's a bunch of people that you don't know, but when you start doing research, a lot of them are really, really, really bad people. Verse 5, by these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families in their nations. Yeah, Japheth went up to the isles to, um, he, he would have gone up towards England, towards um, Iceland, Greenland, Ireland, towards towards Russia, towards Mongolia, and, and it kind of blends into uh, East Asia a little bit, but then also your um, the descendants of Sham going into the Middle East, they blend up, and then you get kind of a blending of those two. That's where like your Asians and they kind of come in in that area. Um, and then the descendants of Ham went to Egypt and then down from there. But it, it kind of gives you all of that here. So verse 6, the descendants of Ham. And the sons of Ham 
were Cush, Mizrami, and Fut, and Canaan. All right, so he had four sons, not just Canaan. Canaan, the curse fell on Canaan, but there were other sons too. And the sons of Cush, Cush was the eldest son, was Seba, and Haviel, and Sabat, and Ramah, and Subtekha, and the sons of Ramaha were Sheba and Dedan and Cush. Now this is important because there's a weird wording here. It gives you the sons of Cush, right? So that's the ones that are his children. And then it says, and Cush begat Nimrod. Now the word begat can mean that it was his physical son, but it can also mean that he brought him forth. And I always find it interesting that there's a distinction and a separation between those that are his sons and Nimrod whom he begat. Now, it might not mean anything. They might have all been his sons. But why is there a distinction? But begat means he brought forth. Because there's a difference about Nimrod. Nimrod is the first recording where we see the uh, fallen getting back in again. So rather he brought him forth, whether there was some witchcraft there, whether there was something else going on. Um, because you can use the same word for a midwife. For example, if a midwife delivered somebody, then you would say she begat them. It doesn't mean she was their mother or father. It just means that she brought them forth. So there, there could have been something that he was involved in bringing Nimrod forth because Nimrod was definitely mixed. He was a, a mixed blood, again, bringing the giants back into the land. All of the traditions about Nimrod go back to uh, the same things that we were dealing with pre-flood. It, it could have even been that he was involved in some form of sorcery or whatever was going on before the flood that he was involved in that caused Nimrod to be brought forth because Nimrod is is the first mighty man mentioned. Just like it was mentioned before in the days of old, there were many mighty men. Nimrod is, it literally says, and he became a mighty one in the earth and was a mighty hunter before the Lord Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, Nimrod established the Tower of Babel. That's where all of the problems start coming in again. The rebellion, he's the first archetype for the Antichrist, who again has the spirit of Satan within him. His name means rebellion. He incites the people to rebel, and he he causes them to be dependent upon him. Uh, so that they are not dependent or obedient to God. He, he sets himself up in the place of God, wanting to be worshipped as God. The Tower of Babel, the word tower, literally uh, translate, the original word there is migdal. We translate it to tower. The literal translation is elevated pulpit. So he builds himself an elevated pulpit, puts himself in it, wants to be worshipped as God, puts himself in the place of God so that the people are dependent on him and not on God. Very, This is where your first governmental structures come from. This is where Nimrod comes in. He is the first archetype for the Antichrist. Um, when you look up, even in the stone carvings and the the, arc, the literature from the time and from Babylon, there are, are you know, recordings of him you know, being shapeshifter and being a giant and you know carrying... Uh, lions under his arms like kittens and all of this. So you're seeing the same things that were happening pre-flood happening again for the first time through Nimrod. And that comes in through through Cush, but we don't know if he was literally a son of Cush or someone that Cush brought forth. Here it very clearly lists all of Cush's kids, 
And then it says Cush begot Nimrod and separates him from the kids. That's the only thing that makes it a little bit odd about why there was a distinction and a separation. He was definitely different than the rest of Cush's children. Whatever the, the reason, whether it was his offspring or whether it was his offspring mixed with something else, something else got in and the first place you see it is through Nimrod. And that will continue until the that's end. Where, that's where Babylon comes from. That's where Babylon comes from. All the way through, even to, for example, Nebuchadnezzar, when Daniel has the dream of the statue, which represents all the kingdoms that rule the world from the time of David until the return of Christ, it, it goes back even to this. These were the lineages that led those empires that ran the world. There was something different that got in until the end. And at the end, we see even in that, that uh, prophetic word, it says that in the end, uh, the ten toes, the final kingdom, is made of iron and miry clay. And it says, but they, even though they mix together, they don't cleave to each other because they've mingled themselves too much with the blood of men, which has to make you question, well, what in the world are they if they're not men? If they've gotten weaker through these generations from way back then until the end, because now they're too mixed with the blood of men, then they must have not been men. Something else got in. So, you know, these, these little things are, are very deep. Very deep. But this is where it got in. This is the first crack that we see in the foundation. So he was the first mighty one mentioned. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Eric, and Akkad, and Calvin, and there's many others mentioned. Um, we're not going to read through it, but other descendants of Ham also produced Nineveh. They produced, uh, let's see, going through it, the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gibusites, the Hivites, because they had allowed these evil spirits in and these false deities, they brought in child sacrifice and murder and perversion and all of this stuff to their cultures, so much so that God continuously had to fight against them. Now remember, God never wanted to. He sent Jonah to Nineveh to save Nineveh. Even though Nineveh was so evil that they were wallpapering their city walls with the skins of their enemies and using their skulls to light the streets as torches, they were sacrificing children, they were in every form of sexual sin you could imagine, every form of abuse you could imagine. These were evil, wicked people. That's why Jonah did not want to go there. First of all, he was probably scared for his life, and second of all, he probably wanted them to be destroyed. He, he's probably thinking these people need to be wiped out. God's love and mercy wanted to save them. He sent a preacher. He sent revival. He gave them mercy. They did repent. Years later, they fell back into even more sin and they were eventually destroyed. There was a wickedness rooted in because when you listen to an evil spirit, when you allow its influence and you think, oh, it's not so bad, I'm, not, I'm just going to give a little bit, your kids are going to give more. And their kids are going to give more. And their kids are going to give more until you go from, you know, laughing at your dad in a, in a down situation to, you know, no heart and compassion and murdering people and using skins for wallpaper several generations later because a spirit is going to go as far as you let it and each generation is going to take it one step more. That's why you shut the door immediately. You don't let it in. Nimrod means rebellion. Babel means confusion. So he, he brings in confusion. 
And you'll always find, too, mixed with these is perversion. And that's why the Bible talks about, like, even cross-dressing brings confusion. And mixed in all of it, you'll always find perversion, promiscuity, selfishness. Then you'll find murder. You'll find hatred. You'll find... And then in the end, you know, you don't know which bathroom to use. And, and you have all of this idiocy. And you're like, what's wrong with these people? It's a spirit. A spirit has overtaken. You know, the old people will be like, what? The devil done got into him. Like, he's being crazy. It, it's true. Sin makes you stupid and selfish. And it doesn't make any sense to someone who's not being led by that spirit. But when you allow yourself to be overtaken by it, it's all you can see, think, breathe, smell, hear. You don't even realize the, the entrapment that you're in. But God wants redemption. He sends preachers. He wants revival. But in the end, there is judgment. And he will protect the innocent. And when he has to, nations still burn for these sins. In fact, when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by fire, he, it says in the scripture that it was given as an example for those who would later choose to live ungodly. Because in the end, in the final judgment, the whole world is going to burn like Sodom and Gomorrah. And those that are rebellious and choosing to still follow the leadings of these old spirits are going to burn with it. The spirits of the Canaanites, the spirits of, of Nimrod, the, the spirits that they let in, they've had many different names through different cultures, but it is the same spirit. Whether it was Ashereth, Diana, Isis, Samarimus, Beyonce, now, whatever face it chooses to take, it's still the same ideas. It's still the same pushing. Jezebel, they still did the same things. Whether it was Baal, you know, or, or Zeus, or brought in, whatever it was. Because remember, these entities existed before Babel when there was one language. The languages dispersed the people, so they go into all the world with different languages, but the same story. So you get different deities, different names. But they really are the same through the culture. And so they do the same things even today. So in the Bible, when it talks about the great whore, it's still talking about this same spirit. It's the same characteristic. When it talks about the Antichrist, it's still talking about this same spirit, this Nimrod characteristic, or this Baal characteristic, or Molech. That's why when you say in Scripture, well, which deity is it? It all comes down to the same different names, but in the end, they have the same character, bad fruit, selfishness, pride, you know, caring about your own lust and desires, not trusting God. So in the end, fear God and keep his commandments. <laughs> this is the whole duty of man. The, the European Union actually has on their flags and on their posters uh, a picture of the Tower of Babel being rebuilt and it's all about reunifying the world. So where God dispersed, they're trying to bring back together for the same purpose to bring all the people under the control of this one antichrist character so that he can once again stand in his elevated pulpit and put himself in the place of God. He's trying to get back to where it was because they think they can get ahead on God. But there will be no new world order. There will be no unified you know, governmental system until New Jerusalem comes. Jesus will rule the world in the end, but only Jesus. But the Antichrist will try to convince many that he is the Messiah and that his empire is the one prophesied, the millennial. But, I mean, even Hitler did that. The Third Reich, the word Reich is, is a thousand-year reign. Like, it was talking about 
a thousand year reign of, of peace we will bring in. It was a counterfeit. So, all right. I'm not going to read all his descendants. Verse 20. These are the sons of Ham after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. Shem. His descendants were the Jewish people, the Middle Eastern people. He was the middle child. Unto Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder, even to him there were children born. That name actually is the name that Hebrew that's actually right. comes from. That's right. It means the one, right. one from beyond. That's right. So that's, that particular that's where Hebrew comes from. That's that right. Eber? Eber. Eber. So pre-flood, there were no Hebrews. That's, that's, that's the point of the Yeah. That's the Hebrew. Yeah. Right. Now, we're not going to go through all of these because you're not going to know most of them, but there is an interesting thing when you get to verse 25. And unto Eber were born two sons, and the name of one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided. This was after the fall of the Tower of Babel, after the languages was divided. The earth begins to be divided. That's where your, your nation, your continent begins to break apart, and there's a drifting apart um, of the actual earth itself. That's part of, honestly, that's, that his name literally means that, like earthquake. The one who, in his lifetime, there was a massive earthquake. Originally, there was one landmass. The earth gets broken apart, and it gets drifted apart. I think that's probably part of what broke up the languages. Not just a, you know, God's right now striking down changing languages, which he could have, but the fact that the people are getting broken up by this, earthquake and the land masses are being separated so now they can't come together to stand against God like they were God's will like they were before until the time was fulfilled because there had to be enough time for Jesus yeah yeah and his brother's name was Joktan 32 these are the, and you know you can read through the rest of them these are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations, in their nations, and by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. We're going to stop there because the Tower of Babel comes next, and that's a really interesting read. So, yeah, yeah, it's really good. You got to know it all. You can't, you can't skip through it. And, and like Brother Wayne said, if you go back and really break down the names and look at the genealogy, there's a lot in there that you can really glean and really understand. Um, I know genealogy gets boring sometimes, but when you're really breaking down what happened, it, it makes a lot of sense when you understand, at least in the beginning. The origins of things really travel through the theme of, of Scripture. So it's important to know what's happening, what's taking place. For example, you know, you most people probably don't even know that it's in the Bible that it's recorded exactly when the continents actually were formed when they broke apart and when things started drifting and that that was part of the process of the, the scattering of the languages from the Tower of Babel. I think it's in Job, the Ice Age is broken up. Yeah, yeah, it does cover things about the Ice Age in Job. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I, I like the early history of the Bible. It's more interesting than most of your Hollywood stories. They say uh, today, like, the continents are still being pulled apart. They are. They are still drifting apart, yeah. But I think at something like four feet a year or something, like two to four feet a year, depending on the ratio, they're still moving apart. 
Now, that's on the inside, on the Atlantic Rift side. On the outside, you know, it's not going to fit perfectly because it wasn't all the way around. It was one landmass like this. So, really, the only place it's going to fit pretty perfectly is down the Mid-Atlantic Rift, which is still, you can see, it's just a big scar. It's still separating there to this day. Honestly, that's probably part of where the Fountains of the Deep broke open in the flood event. No, it's okay. But it continued to happen after because this was, you know, for a couple of years or many years after when all these generations are being formed and born and the Tower of Babel is being formed, then there's a massive earthquake and then it says this thing broke open and the lands are starting to move now. Amazing. One of the interesting things about the floor of the ocean, now we know Corbin dating, the dates they get are extremely exaggerated, right? We know that because when they carbon date rocks from the... Um, Mount St. Helens explosion, which happened in the 80s, we get something like 50,000 years ago or, you know, a million years ago. And all. So the, the dates are extremely exaggerated. But you can tell to some degree what happened first, what happened second, what happened third or whatever. And anytime they ever carbon date the floor of the ocean, it's always younger than the, the ground. So the earth actually during the flood and during all of these things, when it split open and, and started to move, what's forming underneath us, the floor of the ocean is actually newer ground than what we have for the land masses. There's no other explanation on how the oceans could all be younger than the land, except that what the Bible says, the fountains of the deep broke open and the land separated and parted and moved. And the oceans filled in with the water that came from the flood. I have a theory about that. <laughs> it's that, that makes sense, that's how it works. That's why you still see fossils of fish on the tops of the highest mountains, because you know what, there was a flood that covered all the mountains. So, you know, you can come up with all of these far-fetched reasons about why all these things happen, but, you know, sometimes the simplest one actually does make the most sense. The Bible tells us what happened. And it will happen again in the end because they don't listen. Men don't listen. Thank you for joining us today. This program was brought to you by HOWC Media Ministries. For more messages like this or information about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.